Hey, I want to welcome you to the third installment of the series and the season that we're in as a church family called Good to Go. Today is a really, really critical piece of this series. And to that end, you are about to hear a message that our church needs to hear. Today, we're going to take this series to the HNL, a whole nother level. Derek Barrett is our pastor of worship. And as we think about a full circle faith and what that looks like to have every part of our relationship with Christ firing on all cylinders, worship is a critical part of that. And so I've asked Derek to preach today's message, to build this into our church since this is his primary area of responsibility, his calling. And I am so excited that you're going to get to hear from him, to get to hear not only what God has given him to give to all of us, but so you'll hear his heart. You'll get to know him. I want to ask you right now, if you will, please stand to your feet, just right where you are. Stand up and let's give a family crazy welcome to Pastor Derek Barrett. Guys, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Much much appreciated. You can take a seat. Guys, please take a seat. Thank you. Again, as Max said, my name is Derek. I am the worship pastor here at Lake Hills and excited to be talking to you today about worship. We're in this series called Good to Go. We've introduced this idea in week one of Full Circle Faith, which is just how we grow as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus. And as Max said, worship is such a huge part of that. Uh, Max today has the opportunity to speak for a church called The Hills in Nashville. Um, and this is an awesome, exciting thing. Anytime he gets to pour into the global church, I believe that we benefit from this as well as the local church. One of those ways being we get to hear from other people. And so this is the reason why I'm here today talking to you about worship. And I wanted to start today off by asking a question. And the question is this, how many of you would be honest enough to admit that you have some bad habits in your life? Anybody willing to admit that you've got some bad habits? Yeah, we all have bad habits, and I know they all range on the spectrum, uh, some that aren't as big of a deal as others. But I wanted to share a bad habit with you guys this morning of my wife's, actually. <laughs> and I can say this for two reasons. One, she's not here today. So, babe, if you're watching online, I love you, and I'm sorry for this. No, that is a little bit of a joke. I've been married for longer than two seconds. I know this would not go over well for me. I did ask for her permission to share this. Uh, she is spending some time with her family, and I hate to say it after yesterday, but she is in Oklahoma. And before you guys walk out on me, you need to know something. You need to know, first of all, that she's not a sports fan, and I'm not an Oklahoma fan, and I know that doesn't make yesterday's loss any better but nevertheless, hopefully it's enough that you at least give me a shot this morning. Her sister's about to have a baby, which is exciting. And so they are doing a baby shower this weekend, and so she's not here today. But the second reason that I can share this bad habit of hers with you is because I have the same bad habit. We are in this together, and here's what this bad habit is. We are both snackers. We enjoy to snack, and I know that this isn't that big of a deal in and of itself, but what makes it worse for us is that we are late night snackers. Any other late night snackers in the house where you just, you need something before you go to sleep? Yeah, I know this isn't good for us, and yet 
It's where we are nevertheless. How many of you have also heard, and I don't know if this is true or not, but how many of you have heard that what you eat and when you eat it can have an effect on what you dream? Anybody ever heard that before? Again, I don't know if this is true, but I could make a strong case for this based on something that happened to her last week. I posted about it on my social media if you follow me. It's a funny story more than anything else I wanna share with you. I promise I will tie it into something that we're talking about today. And the story is this. I go downstairs one morning and Ashley and I, we get up fairly early. We spend some time with Jesus in the morning. And then we also like to spend some time with each other before we get the day started. And she's telling me that she had this crazy dream the night before. And she said, the dream was about you and it was about Bruce Willis. And at this point, I'm thinking, this sounds kind of cool. You've intrigued me right here. I like Bruce Willis, seems like a cool guy. Well, what happened in this dream? She said, well, you guys were friends. And I'm thinking we're off to a, a good start here. It's good to be friends with Bruce Willis, even if it's in a dream. And I said, what happens next? Well, here things take a turn for the worst because what she said happened is we got into some sort of an argument. And after the argument, I went to Bruce's house and I threatened him. And not only did I threaten him, but in the course of threatening him, I then made him emotional. And right here I'm thinking, I know that this isn't a great idea. Even in a dream to go to Bruce Willis, threaten him, it's not gonna go well for me. I said, but what happens after this? And she said, well, after you threaten him, then you kick him and his entire family out of their house. And here I'm thinking, man, you must have a really high perspective viewpoint of me if you think that I'm gonna go to the John McLean and kick him and his family out of his house. Now for the teenagers in the room, John McLean, this is a Die Hard reference. Die Hard is a movie. It's actually a series of five movies, kind of like John Wick, but way, way better. Die Hard, you gotta track with me here. So what happened next, I asked her, uh, after you know, we kicked the family out of the house, she said, well, she started to get worried and anxious that Bruce was gonna come back and do something. And she said that you weren't nearly as worried or anxious because the only thing that you wanted to do was make yourself a snack in Bruce's house. <laughs> right here, I, I paused and I thought, well, that sounds like me, that is something that I would do. So continue on, she said, uh, well, Bruce does come back, and when he comes back, this time he brings an attack dog with him. And to make a long story short, she said he proceeded to open up a can of Die Hard 6 on you before I woke up. And this was the dream that she shared with me. And I'm thinking after she told this to me, I'm thinking two things. I'm thinking, one, what did you eat the night before that made you dream this crazy dream? And two, I was kind of jealous I didn't have it myself. It seemed like a cool dream to have and I was kind of jealous that I wasn't a part of it. And at the end of the day, it was just a dream. Everything worked out well. Bruce came out on top as he would in real life. I apologized to him on social media. He didn't respond to me, which I was a little bit bummed about. But at the end of the day, it was just a dream. And I know that you're thinking right here, what the heck does this have to do with anything? Here's the tie-in, as loose as it may be. I don't know if that habit of snacking before bed led to this crazy dream that my wife had. And I know on the spectrum of bad habits, Snacking before bed isn't, that really, isn't really that big of a deal. And we can all think about the habits in our own lives and place those on the spectrum. But the Bible gives us a bad habit that it says is a big deal. And not only is it a big deal, it can be detrimental to how we grow in our relationship with Jesus, how we grow as a follower of him. And so I wanna look at that this morning. We referenced it last week, and I wanna bring it up again today. This is out of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 and 25, and it says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. 
This is the attending that we talked about last week, and even today, this is going to be kind of the attend part B message as we talk about worship and what goes on in the context of corporate worship. It says, not giving up the ha- uh, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And there we see what the bad habit is. Giving up, meeting together, gathering in corporate worship, which we learned last week, was just all about the body of Christ coming together to worship him. It says, instead, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so here's the deal, guys. If, if this is listed, if attending, being in church is listed in the Bible as important to God, then it has to be important to us. Now, what does attending have to do with worship? And at the end of the day, I believe that God doesn't want us just to attend or just to gather for the sake of being here. I think the purpose of us gathering together is to worship him in everything we do, in the music, in the message, in our teaching, in our giving, in our serving, in our fellowship, all of these things that we talked about last week that go into corporate worship. But today I wanna look at specifically what does it mean, the musical time of our singing together, this part of corporate worship, why is this important to God, why is it important to us? And so I wanna talk about worship this morning, and I really wanna talk about two big subjects. Uh, At the end of the day, the Bible says so much about worship that we could spend an entire year on a worship series and talk about something new every week. But today, I wanna start simple, foundational, because I believe that there are some things that we have to understand first before we move on to the other things. And we're gonna work in twos a lot of today, you're gonna see that. And the two big subjects that I wanna cover today is I wanna cover what worship is, and two, I wanna talk about who worship is for. What worship is and who worship is for. Let's start with that first subject, what is worship? Now, there are many definitions of worship out there, and most of them are good. I'm going to give you what I believe at my core worship is, especially in the context of the local church. I believe that worship is this, and again, this is two parts. I believe it is, one, who we are before God. Worship is who we are before God and who God is before us. In our own hearts, who God is before us. So I want to look at these two ideas. I want to break these down for a little bit. Uh, Let's start with who we are before God. This is what who we are before God means. This is simply our actions, our decisions, the way in which we live. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that we are supposed to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God, holy and pleasing to him, for this is our spiritual act of worship. And so according to the Bible, worship is the way that we live, and at the same time, I, I believe it has to be coupled with the second part of the equation, who God is before us. And here's what I mean by that. We all have to answer this question, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? There is a story in the New Testament of Jesus meeting with one of his disciples, Peter, and he asked him this this question. He says, Peter, who am I to you? And Peter answers and he said, well, I believe that you're Lord, you are Messiah, Lord of my life. That's who Jesus was to Peter, and Jesus is asking us within the corporate body that same question, who am I to you? And I believe that if we are true worshipers in this place, we start there. We start with the fact that Jesus is Lord. We answer that way the same way that Peter did, and therefore the way that we are before God comes out of who he is in us. Where we say, I'm gonna let you transform me from the inside out. I'm gonna live, like Romans 12:1 says, a living sacrifice to you. Those things have to work together, who we are before God and who God is before us in our own hearts. And so if that's the case, if that's the backdrop, the definition of worship that we're talking about today, I wanna spend the majority of our time together 
talking about who worship is for. Who worship is for. Now, if I were to ask you guys this question, who you think worship is for, I think 99% of us would answer, well, worship is for who? Somebody just shout it out. Who you think worship is for? God, Jesus, yes. This was a soft toss, guys. Jesus is like the right answer 99% of the time in church. Yes. Worship is for God. You got it right. And I'll say this. You only got it half right. You only got it half right. Because I believe there are two purposes for who worship is for. I want to share those with you this morning. The first is, yes, worship is for God and worship is for us. Worship is for God and worship is for us. And you could say it a different way, and you may have heard this before, but worship is ultimately for God's glory and for our good. It's for God's glory and it's for our good. And so we're gonna look at each of those things. We're gonna break those down, unpack that a little bit. What do we mean when we say worship is for God? We're not gonna spend a whole lot of time here because again, most of you answered that question when asked that worship is for God. So most of us know this, and yet we have to start here because this is the primary purpose for worship, that worship is for God. We were created for and we exist to glorify and to magnify God. Now, here's the interesting thing. Uh, that word magnify, it's interesting for me to see it in scripture and in some of the songs that we sing because if you think about it, there really are two ways in which that you can magnify something. You're gonna use a form of either a microscope or a telescope. Those are the two forms that you're gonna magnify something with. And I believe similarly, there are two ways in which people try to magnify God in worship. And we're gonna take a look at what the Bible says about each of these, one of these being the correct way, one of those being the incorrect way to magnify. So if you're gonna use a microscope, what you're gonna do is you're gonna take something that is tiny, and for our illustration today, we're thinking about a human cell or an atom, something we would all agree is tiny, and when you magnify it, it makes it appear to be something bigger than it actually is. Is that how a microscope works? I'm not a big science person, but I think at the basis of our understanding, that's how a microscope works. And when we try to magnify God this way, the Bible says this is an improper view of our worship. And here's what I mean by that. When God is small in our own hearts, in other words, when God is not that important to us, when he doesn't have that big of an effect on how we live our life, when we don't pursue him and spend time with him, when he's just over here kind of on the side for when we need him, that's God being small in our own hearts. And when he's small in our own hearts and when we come into worship together and we lift our voice and we lift our hands and we sing about how great God is, we are magnifying God to be something bigger than he actually is on the inside, in our hearts. The Bible says this is the improper way to magnify him. This was the primary form of worship of the Pharisees in the New Testament who were so focused on the external that this is what I need to appear to be before God while all the while he was small in their own hearts. And yet on the other side of things, we've got what's called the telescope, and all of us know what a telescope does. It's gonna take something that appears to be small, and for this example, we're gonna use a star in the sky that appears to be small from here, and when you magnify it, it shows it to be something that it really is. And oftentimes with these stars, that what it really is is bigger than our entire solar system. And this is the way that the Bible says that we were created to magnify him. And here's what that means for us. The more we get to know God, the more we experience him, the more time we spend with him, the greater our understanding of God gets, and the greater our understanding of him gets, 
the greater our worship gets. And that's the magnification that we see. I want to show you this in Psalm chapter 34. This is just one example of the Bible talking about magnification, or we see that word magnify. 34 verses 1 through 3 said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast. Not just the mouth, but the soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. And here it is. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And so here we see the magnification that we were created for and we see the importance of us doing this together. And so worship is, at the end of the day, it's for God, but it is also for us. And so let's look at that second subject, worship is for us. What does it mean when we say this? First of all, we have to understand that there are over 100 scriptures in the Bible that talk about singing or making music to God. And oftentimes, God is actually commanding his people to sing to him. So we see that singing to God is important to him in the Bible, but we also have to understand this in the right way. We have to understand that, first of all, God does not need our worship. He's not lacking in anything. He's not sitting up on the throne of heaven with a low self-esteem or low view of himself saying, man, I wish somebody would worship me right now so that I feel better about myself. God doesn't do that. God is God and he does not need our worship. And so when we see in scripture that God commands his people to sing to him, we have to understand it's not because that he needs something from us, but rather I believe it's because there's something within us that he wants to do as we worship him. And so with the rest of the time that we have left this morning, I wanna look at three things that I believe that God wants to do within us when we worship. What God wants for us in worship. And the first thing is this, I believe God wants to give us wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding is the first thing that is available to us within corporate worship. And we're gonna talk about three today. There is a lot more things that, that God wants to do within us when we worship. We're gonna talk about three. Wisdom and understanding is number one. And in Psalm chapter 73, we don't have time to read the whole chapter together, but I wanna summarize for you what's happening here. The psalmist is having this conversation with God and he's telling God, hey, there are some things about you that I don't understand. There are some things about the way that you do things and, and what you allow in my life that I just, I can't figure out and I don't understand. And if we're honest, how often is that the case for us when we come into a worship environment where there is a gap in our understanding of who God is? It's a rhetorical question, but the answer is 100% of the time, 100% of the time we come into worship with a gap in our understanding of who he is and yet, I believe one of the things that God wants to do within us when we worship him is give us just another bit of understanding of who he is. The psalmist goes on to say in that chapter that he didn't understand those things until he went into the house of the Lord, gathered together with the Lord's people in worship, and he says it was there that he was able to discern the bigger picture of God. And I believe the same thing happens within us as we worship. I'm hoping that this happens within Lake Hills Church worship. Because one of the things that's important to me as a worship pastor here and as a worship leader here is that we teach what it is that we're singing. That we teach who God is and what God does in our lives. And that's why oftentimes, you know, before we'll sing a song, we'll, we'll say something about it. We'll say, hey, this is what this song that we're about to sing talks about. Because I'm hoping that sometimes you hear that and it connects with you in a way that maybe it didn't before. And you get this new bit of understanding of this is who God is and this is what he does. And whether it's our team that's helping in you that, helping you in that, or whether it's God 
that just connects with your heart, I believe that he wants to give you another piece of understanding as we worship him of how great he is. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I believe God wants for us in worship is this big churchy word called sanctification. And here's what sanctification means. Sanctification simply means the journey or the process that we go on to become more and more like Jesus. The journey or process that we go on to become more and more like Jesus. And this is the primary, one of the primary purposes of following Jesus in the first place so that our lives reflect more and more of who he is. But I believe that this happens oftentimes within our corporate worship setting. And here's what I mean by this. Oftentimes when we worship God, he will illuminate within our hearts areas of our lives that need to change to better reflect who he is. I know I've had this experience oftentimes personally. I know maybe some of us have as well, where it will be really hard to stand in a worship environment and truly be worshiping God while at the same time knowing there's an area of my heart or my life that I haven't given over to him. It makes it so hard to focus on God and worship knowing there's an area that I'm holding back from him. And oftentimes within our worship, we'll be trying to focus on God and our mind will drift to our own lives and we'll get this feeling or we'll kind of hear this voice on the inside that says, what you're singing about right now doesn't line up with the way that you're living. Anybody ever had that happen? I have this happen oftentimes. What you're singing about doesn't quite line up with the way that you're living. And here's what you're feeling in this moment. Here's what that voice is. The Bible says this is the voice of conviction. And I wanna talk about this for a second because that word conviction sounds like it's a bad word for us. If you think about committing a crime, you go to the court and you get convicted of a crime and punishment often follows conviction in our society. But from a biblical perspective and how we follow Jesus, conviction is a great thing. And here's what conviction is. Conviction is just Jesus telling us hey, here's an area of your heart or an area of your life that I wanna change. And this is so great and there is no shame in that. The Bible also says in Romans that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but there is conviction. And here's the difference between the two. Condemnation, first of all, is from the enemy. And condemnation points to your past and it says this is what you've done that makes you not worthy of God. This is what you've done that makes your worship unacceptable to him. The Bible says we aren't supposed to live there. Instead, we're supposed to live out of conviction. And what conviction says is it's not from the enemy. It's actually from God. It's from the Holy Spirit. And instead of pointing to your past, it points to your future. And it said, this is who I've called you to be. And if this is who I've called you to be, then if you want to get there, there are some things right now that you need to change, that you need to shape so that you can step into the future that I've called you into. And this is why this is such a great thing for us to not only listen to within worship, but for us to be able to walk out of here committed in our hearts, I'm gonna take that next step. I'm gonna walk out of here and I'm gonna change it so that I can step into the future that God has for me. And this is what is available to us when we gather in corporate worship. So listen to that voice, listen to that feeling, and then let's decide together to take those steps in this journey of sanctification. That's the second thing. And the last thing, and this is where I'm gonna kind of end our time with today. The last thing that God wants for us that we're gonna talk about today in corporate worship is this. He wants us to experience the fullness of God. He wants us to experience the fullness of God. And I wanna focus on this word fullness because this is a really important thing for us to understand. We have to understand that in the way that God set up corporate worship, there are things that he does in this environment here 
that he does not do in your personal and your private worship time of him. Now, your personal and your private worship is very important. There are plenty of benefits to that. We have to start there, and that's another message for another day, but we have to understand that he, he doesn't do some things in that environment that he will do here. Here is where we see the fullness of God, and I wanna show you this in Ephesians chapter three, verse 17 through 19. Because there was last week, actually, I'm gonna get to that in just a second. Last week, um, Mac made this statement where people will often say, well, I can be a Christian and I can follow Jesus on my own. I can worship Jesus on my own and not be a part of the church. And that might be the case. I don't know. I'm not gonna make the judgment call for that. But here's what I do know. From a biblical perspective, that idea is not found anywhere. The idea that you can love Jesus and not love or be connected to his church isn't found anywhere in scripture. And I could actually make the opposite argument where I could say that Jesus died for the church. He gave his life up for the church. The Bible says that the church is the medium in which the purposes of Jesus Christ are gonna be outworked throughout the earth. And if the church was so important that Jesus would die for it, how can we say, I don't wanna have anything to do with it? And even if you could be a Christian, and you could worship on your own, you're still missing the fullness of what God wants to do among us in this environment. And here's what I wanted to show you out of Ephesians chapter three, verse 17. It says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. And we're gonna see here power that you're not gonna have in your own private time. Look at all this plural language. Together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep. In other words, the fullness of the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled, look at this, to the measure of all the fullness of God. So here's what this passage is saying right here. If you want to experience the fullness of Christ, if you wanna experience the fullness of what God has to offer within worship, it's gonna happen when you experience the fullness of the body of Christ coming together in worship. And I wanna show you this with one more thing, and this is one of the most impactful things for me as I was looking into preparing for this message. Eye-opening for me, and I've been a part of corporate worship for a long time, and I'm still learning. I'm still learning what it means to experience the fullness of God. There is a picture of heaven that the Bible paints for us a couple times in scripture. Worship in heaven. We see this in the book of Isaiah. We see it again in the book of Revelation. And the picture is this. God is seated on his throne and Jesus is at his right hand and surrounding that throne are the angels in worship. This is what we are gonna be a part of in heaven. I believe it's what we're a part of now when we worship. We join with the angels in singing and worship to God. But that's the picture that the Bible paints for us. And I wanna show you this out of Isaiah that talks about the angels and what they're doing in worship here. It says, and they were calling to one another. And those two words are gonna be really important for us. We're gonna come back to those in just a minute. They were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now there's another passage in Revelation that's very similar, almost identical to this. The same picture, God on his throne, Jesus on his right hand, surrounded by the angels. And in Revelation, it says that they are worshiping and singing to God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. 
They were singing to God, and that's what I expected out of this passage in Isaiah, that they would be singing to God. But they're not. Who are they, who are they calling out to? It says they're calling out to one another. Why? Why are they calling out to one another in worship? There's a guy by the name of C.S. Lewis who was a, a great theologian. He wrote the, the books, The Chronicles of Narnia, that are based on biblical themes and principles. And he's got this quote, and I wish we had time to look at the whole thing today. I'm gonna summarize this for you, that he talks about this passage in Isaiah. And he talks about why he thinks the angels are calling out to each other. And it is important to note, this is his opinion. This is not explicitly in the Bible, but I do believe that it is the exact way that corporate worship was designed for in the church. And this is why I wanna share it with you. He says, much like you and much like me, one angel seated around the throne of God has got in that moment, one perspective, one view or what he calls one angle of the glory of God in that moment. And he said, when that angel calls out to all the rest, there may be an angel on the other side who can't see that view of God personally, but when it gets called out, he can identify with that, say, oh yeah, I get that. And then he can say, this is what I see of God. And then maybe there's another angel on here, over here on the circle that sees these two perspectives, these two angles of God's glory and says, oh, I can see that now. Here's what I see of the glory of God. And this is exactly the way that I believe corporate worship is meant to operate. Possibly the biggest benefit of corporate worship that we have because we have the opportunity when we gather to call out to one another, here's how I've seen God. Here's how I've seen the glory of God. Here's how I've seen the faithfulness of God. Here's how I've seen the strength of God in my own lives. And guys, this is why things like story videos or life change videos, when we watch that, it's why we connect with those. It's why they're so impactful for us because we are watching another angle of God's glory at work within somebody else that we may not have seen otherwise. And this is where the fullness of Christ is seen, the fullness of the glory of God is seen that, again, does not happen. You don't get to see that in your private time. And I've got one last personal story that I wanna share with you that hopefully ties all of this together. When I was in college, uh, I met a woman named Margaret, and during the course of my time in college, Margaret found out that she had cancer. And for those of you who have been around cancer, you know how devastating this can be, not only for the person, but for their family and their friends, their loved ones, everybody around them. It's a tough thing to walk through. And I watched how Margaret would worship on Sundays. And her worship was full. And in the midst of her walking through cancer, and she would talk to you about this, she said, I would worship God because God is still God and God is still good. Even though I'm walking through something that is tough for me, God is still God, God is still good. Not having any idea if God was gonna heal her on the other side of this, God is still God, God is still good. Now fast forward towards the end of my time in college, God actually did heal her. And even to this day, she's cancer free. And I had the opportunity to watch Margaret worship after she'd been healed. And much of it was the same. She still declared in the mountain and in the valley, God is still God and God is still good. But there was another element of her worship that had been unlocked because there was another angle of the glory of God that she had seen. She now knew God as her healer personally in that moment. And for me, I've never experienced cancer personally. I don't know God as my healer in that way. And so here's what happens. If you remove Margaret from my life, 
if you remove the opportunity that I got to watch her worship corporately together, you remove an angle of the glory of God that I would not have seen otherwise. And this is why corporate worship is so powerful. This is where the fullness of God is seen because when I cry out and when Margaret cries out and when you cry out and when you cry out, here's what I've seen of God out of all of our different life circumstances and situations. Here's how I've seen God show up for me. When we see that together in the corporate body, we're seeing the fullness of Christ in worship. And this is what he wants for us. I wanna close down this morning with something a little different than we normally do. And I'm gonna invite the band and the rest of the vocals back. And I wanna have one more moment together of corporate worship. I know we already did this this morning, but I'm hoping that with this new perspective of what worship is, of who worship is for, especially knowing that a lot of this is for us. I'm hoping there's another element that gets unlocked within your own worship. So for you, maybe today, this is wisdom or understanding that God wants to give you in this moment, where he wants to show you just another piece of who he is. Or maybe it's this idea of sanctification where God wants to speak to you, hey, there's an area of your life that I want you to change, that I want you to shift so that you can step into the future that I've called you into. Or maybe it's simply taking a look around as you worship at somebody else that you know is worshiping God through what they're going through or that God has come through for them. And my hope is that you can identify maybe somebody in this room that you would say, I've seen more of the glory of God because I've stood next to them in worship. Maybe that's what you need this morning. And don't make it weird, but be free to do that. Be free to look around the room. This is the, por- the purpose of corporate worship together to experience the fullness of God. So we're gonna sing a song called King of My Heart that we've done in the past that talks about the goodness, the faithfulness of God in every season. Regardless of what we walk through, God is still God. God is still good. So let's stand together. Let's close out today in one last song of worship together. the key.
never gonna let me down You're never gonna let You're never gonna let me down You're never gonna let You're never gonna let me down no. You're never gonna let You're never gonna let take a seat for just a quick minute before we close. We're going to close with the most important thing that we do together every single Sunday, and that is give you an opportunity to meet this person of Jesus. Maybe you're in this room and you've heard us talk about worship and you've heard us talk about how great God is and the purpose of us gathering together, but maybe you don't know him personally. We want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. The Bible says that the only thing that we have to do to enter into a relationship with him is we've got to believe in our heart that he is Lord. We've got to answer that question. Jesus is saying, who am I to you? We've got to say that he's Lord. We've got to believe that he died for our sins and raised to life so that we could be raised to life. And I want to lead you in a prayer this morning. So if we could bow our heads, we could close our eyes together. If that's you and you want to make a decision today to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to pray this after me. Pray it quietly to yourself, but pray it to Jesus. Say, thank you, God, for loving me so much that you would send your son to die a sinner's death on the cross in my place. I believe that you then raised from the life, raised back to life so that I could be raised to life. And I pray that you would help me live every day the best I know how to follow after you as I make you my Lord today. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer, this is the biggest and most important decision that you will ever make in your entire life. We wanna celebrate that with you, but we also wanna help you. We wanna ask you to do just two things really quick so that we can help you in your next step. We talked about earlier in the message, this idea of sanctification and growing more and more like Jesus. When you step into a relationship with him, that is the greatest and the first step. But 
so many steps follow. We wanna help you in that. So if you prayed that prayer today, just right now, find the connect card that is in the program that you received when you walked in and just begin to fill out some of that information. There's a box on there that you can indicate today, I gave my life to Jesus. And again, this card isn't for us. This is for us to be able to help you in your next steps. And you can take that to the hub area outside as we close down our service to one of our team members in the green t-shirts and they'll help you with what's next. And it'll also say, maybe you are a Christ follower already. That environment is also for you. If you wanna talk to somebody about what it looks like to grow in full circle faith, I encourage you to chat to somebody there at the hub. But the second thing I wanna ask you to do if you prayed to receive Christ today is to take a bold step to mark this moment in your heart, in your mind today. I wanna ask you on the count of three, just slip your hand up in the air. If you prayed that prayer, there's no shame in this. On the count of three, one, two, three. Just raise your hand. If you met Jesus today, if you gave your life to Jesus today, if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand. Again, this is the best decision that you will ever make in your life. We want to celebrate this with you. We have a family tradition around here that as you put your hands down, we put our hands together and we say, welcome home. Welcome home.